0: Don't you give up, don't you let away Talking about a forever after. Don't you give up, don't you dare give in, don't you give up Don't you dare give up? You're not allowed to give in today. And while I keep waiting for I'm a big fan of John Popper, by the way, because he has you know, ice cream issues like I do. But it is most precarious out there in our world, and we and our esteemed guests in the studio today are doing everything we can to push back and to not give in. So don't you dare give up. You can't give in. The work that we have ahead of us is just too... And do never do not quit your job. You lose all your legal leverage. We are thrilled today to have with us in the studio and continuing our domestic violence trinity. This is really the third show we've been doing on domestic violence. And we're going to con- finish this off with a fourth show on specifically on domestic violence as it relates to the workplace, if not next week. Well, next week we're going
1: to talk about the waitress. Are you on
0: there, Mike? I don't hear you. Okay. Okay.
1: No, yes, okay, uh, and we were gonna do the other topic of uh, tipped employees, yes, and so Next we'll meeting. get into okay. because that's a whole other layer of sexual right. harassment and minimum the wage. Comprom- right. exactly and the compromised position workers are put in. Yes, so we'll really cover that, and we're doing this because why? Because October is domestic violent month, if anybody saw. Uh, de Blasio flipped the Empire State Building to purple, raising awareness.
0: Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yes. Well, anyway, let's. I we I think you just said Domestic Violence Month, yeah. which we want to avoid. We, <laughs> Sorry. We, we have two people in our studio with us today who commit their lives to helping others, public interest work, and um, in trying to make a, a difference. And uh, I am sure sometimes it feels like a drop in the bucket, but both Quentin Walcott. And Sarah Gonzalez are here with us today to leading lights in uh, the anti-domestic violence movement in our city, in our country. Quentin Walcott is a co-executive director of Connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T. He's a leading U.S. anti-violence activist, educator, and writer. He's the co-executive director of Connect, which is a New York City nonprofit organization dedicated to preventing interpersonal violence and promoting gender justice headquartered right here in New York City. Um, Mr. Walcott boldly pushes communities to redefine manhood by working to build a society that embraces equality, mutuality, and rejects violence in communities as the status quo. That's outstanding. Since 2000, he has worked tirelessly to address a critical part of the equation to ending violence against women, namely men. Walcott has developed and launched some of New York City's only programs aimed at transforming bystanders, many of them being men, boys and batterers themselves, into allies and activists against all forms of violence. Uh, Mr. Walcott's groundbreaking uh, work has been recognized nationally and internationally. He just was telling us he just returned from Paris, France, where he was uh, pr- uh, also uh, involved in, in uh, work-related activity. The United Nations Trust Fund to End Violence Against Women recently recognized him for his exemplary contributions to end violence against women. He was the first male to have received the esteemed, now that's the National Organization for Women, New York City, Susan B. Anthony award. Uh, uh, excellent. Walt, Mr. Walcott has also been commissioned by the United States Vice President Joe Biden to facilitate events for National Domestic Violence Awareness Month and ch- train men and women in Kenya in the area of gender-based violence. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Q. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And we also have, as I mentioned, um, Ms. Sarah Gonzalez, uh, who is a, uh, works for an organization known as Day One, Uh, which partners this organization, not-for-profit organization. It partners with New York City youth to end dating abuse and domestic violence through community education, supportive services, legal advocacy, and leadership development. As the community educator, Sarah provides workshops to youth on intimate partner violence and other topics surrounding and involving IPV, intimate partner violence. She also provides trainings for adults that work with youth, so the adults are better prepared to deal with the issue of teen dating violence. Sarah received her Bachelor of Arts from Sarah Lawrence College, where she concentrated in creative and nonfiction writing and African-American literature. During her collegiate education, she studied abroad in Cuba, where she focused on the mental and emotional side effects on the U.S. female students after experiencing drastically different male-dominated public spaces. Hmm. Upon Whoa. graduation, she worked as the... That could Pro- be a show. <laughs> right? <laughs> Upon graduation, Sarah worked as the program facilitator for the Eileen Fisher Leadership Institute in Irvington, New York. The program promotes leadership in young women through self-empowerment, connection with others, and activism in their communities. Aside from co-facilitating the core curriculum with the program director, Sarah facilitated a Feminism 101 workshop, which became a hit with young women. Sarah was born in, in, and raised in New York and she is happy to be able to effectively create change in her New York community. Thank you for being here with us, Sarah. Thank really?
2: you for having
1: me. I'm honored to be here <laughs> yes, today. Yes, thank you for
0: joining us. So let's just let's just jump right in. Um, why don't you first, um, Quentin, tell us a little bit about what was the genesis of the work that you do? I mean, how did you get involved with this? Uh, uh, this is your life's work, right? <laughs> okay, so um, how did, a, did a, a male get involved in um, having the passion to end violence against women,
2: well, I always kind of say that I kind of fell into the work by mistake, um, but there 's no mistakes. Uh, mm-hmm. I was working um, with a preventive based organization out in South Jamaica, Queens, uh, really just trying to make some money in, in in order to pay for law school applications and and what have you and uh, It was a place where I worked you know as an as an undergrad student in the summertime, working with a summer camp. And um for some reason I had a uh you know, I had an impact on young young um young boys in particular, but young boys and girls that who were struggling with some behavior issues during the uh the camp cycle. And um so as it became the fall I started working at the organization that ran the camp, which was a preventive organization that had a relationship with ACS. Um and ACS is administration for children's services. And so it was one of a uh, purchase preventatives where they um, they have like a contract, a contract agency that provides services to community based to the community as a community based organization in uh, different locations throughout the city. And um, so you know I was, was kind of hired to kind of work with young people and run groups with them, and um, never ran a group before a day in my life. But I had a knack for doing that and really engaging uh, these young people. And really, you know, asking them questions about uh, what's happening in their lives, and rather than um, really kind of speaking down to them, really engaging them in a call and response conversation. Um, what age group? Uh, they were anywhere from um, from nine years old to uh, I think 21 years old. Um, so different, you know, varying groups um, and different ages.
0: But inner uh, city youths, is that for yeah, UK? South Jamaica Queens, okay. you know, folks okay. from South
2: Jamaica Queens who. Uh, okay. Um, you know, struggling with many different issues. Okay. But um, you know, very good, smart young people who are really being uh, labeled mm. um, around their behavior. But you know, as I was running these groups, you know, they were very effective. Um, had really built these relationships with them, and uh, but they kept coming back. You know, after the the nine week or twelve week cycle, they kept coming back, and I was wondering what's going on. I thought I was effective and then you know engaging them in further conversation found out that young, many of these young people were witnessing violence in the home and that that was really the, the the issue that they were struggling with out in the community or in school so it wasn't that they were um, you know they didn't have ADHD or they weren't special ed you know mm-hmm. people weren't asking the right questions so they were just mm-hmm. acting out behaviorally because of what they were seeing at home so that was like my genesis into the work and that organization that was um, that I was working with uh, my director at the time um, sent me to go to a, a training group to work with um, children who were abused or exposed to violence, and it turned out to be a group um, where they were training um, people to run batteries programs. So that was like my first in- inception into the work. So that's why I I kind of fell into it, because uh, my director did not want to go, and so she sent me, and then thus kind of really... Propelled me into us, uh, uh, to this career, and for me, it was—it was, uh, it was a, the learning curve was. Um, it, was, it was a short learning curve because the I was already a community organizer and I was a student activist as well, so doing work around sexism was just like uh, a shift in terms of looking at how oppression worked for women opposed mm-hmm. to how it worked for people of color and poor people in communities. So it was really just like a shift around looking at how power control worked, how marginalization worked, and how mm-hmm. oppression worked. <clears throat> so that was kind of like my my um, my introduction into the work, you know, from right into running um, groups for men who batter and abuse. And I was very young at the time, and people didn't take me seriously until I opened my mouth and could really kind of talk about these terms and concepts and really meet them where they were without judgment and really kind of um, work with men as a strategy to keep women and children safe, but then also to work with them to change their attitudes and belief systems towards women and girls and other men.
0: You have this... Uh, what I think is sort of the temperament that's quite calming, and I don't know whether that's you know part of the work that you do or just that comes naturally. But you seem like as it you'd be an outstanding therapist, or the type of a person who de-escalates just by. <laughs> I mean, because why did I? Is that I mean, it's <laughs> you're getting that too. Yeah, right, I'm right? ready I'm just,
1: to tell them all my secrets. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's a very, but
0: you're, you're you're gentle. There's a there's a there's a sensitivity and a softness that is important, I think, especially if you're bringing this to children who are already marginalized by violence right and especially if you're dealing with and you made the shift from sort of white privilege to male privilege issues and here you are as a male talking to I mean you, you have to you have to be extremely deft I think at um at defusing, right, as opposed to it'd be very easy to incite some of these kids to just go like, well, what the hell do you know about my shit, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, so. I, I, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I think um, work with young people made it very possible for me to work with uh, men who are abusive, adult men who are abusive in their relationships. And, um, you know, and at that time, okay. um, you know, I didn't really think that that work was going to last because most of the work was really centered rightfully so around survivors of domestic violence and um, you know direct services so you know that the idea of working with men and engaging them around changing their attitudes and behavior it didn't seem like it was it was really sticking right. um, and it, you know and it's still a relatively new field so for me it was important for me to understand the full complexities and dynamics of domestic violence and intimate partner violence so that I could one have a job right. and then, secondly right. to really um, have as much information and experience around the impact of male violence and abusive behavior on women and children. So it was really a full, comprehensive uh, understanding was important for me to really kind of concentrate and focus. I mean, I work with families and communities and do community organizing around this issue, but specifically to work with men and boys, it was important for me, because me being a male as well, right. socialize in the same ways, for me to understand the impact of our behavior and our attitudes on women and girls.
0: But isn't it also important, it's the work really that both of you do, at least when it comes to youths, it's like sort of nipping it in the bud, the sense of jumping in before we have whomever, the Ray Rices or whomever, when when it's already dyed in the wool, the idea of, because we don't teach this in school, right, we don't have on every street corner, you know, an after school program that will indoctrinate or help or educate, enlighten, edify you know, isn't it a little bit like the whole, you know, whether it was sort of what was under, underscoring the, the slut walk and issues where it's like, no, it's not about, let's not talk to women about if you're going to wear that outfit out, you're going to expect this to happen. Let's teach boys, instead of it's just about women, let's teach men, let's teach boys yeah. that it does not on women why aren't we don't, as even as a culture, we still have 15-year-olds on the side of buses selling beer, right? I mean, as a yeah. culture, we still seem to encourage objectification and sexualization of young girls and women. So it's a, I would imagine it's a steep kind of road to hoe that you have when you're dealing with a systemic issue and an individual issue that has, because these kids are going back to, well, some of them at least are going back to homes that are still dysfunctional, mm. right? Yeah. So, is there, and I'll just, I guess I'll jump to you, Sarah, just right now, in terms of just the youth component of this, is that, you know, is that sort of the whole, sort of the, the, the satisfying meat and potato, the raison d'etre, really, of the work you do, that by taking a youth who is not yet, perhaps, yet arrested, who is not hardened, so to speak, did you, and I mentioned to you earlier, I saw one of your videos today, where you were visibly moved, and it was very actually moving <laughs> to watch. You'll have to watch it being yeah. you've never seen it, <laughs> when you were talking about some some young male who was listening to you present Mm -hmm. who was you could watch the wheels turning in his head it was completely processing and taking seriously without breaking eye contact with you he leaned forward and said I'd get choked up talking about he said something like when when I feel you know I was told the first time not to cry and so I internalized that and then I just you know that's Mm why I become like boys do I'm just going to say if I feel attacked what do men do You know, you you, you knock somebody out, right? So, again, just talk to us a little bit about the uh, the work that you do, you know, why you do it, and how rewarding or unrewarding is it?
3: Uh, So with day one, we only work with um, people 24 years and younger, aside from our professional trainings. So we provide services to anyone 24 years and younger, uh, social and legal services. Uh, But as the community educator, as you mentioned, I'm the one that goes into classrooms and community-based organizations, and I'm more of the preventative side and having the conversations with the youth about breaking down. Um, So in that particular workshop, it was a gender expectations workshop, and so we talked about what women are expected to do and men are expected to do, Um, and I got into this work I feel like I didn't know why I got into it until listening to Q just now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is my Nicely story, done, actually? Um, and my entire life, I've always been around, uh, I would say, gender non-conforming adults, both male and female, in which the females in my family are, um, they're very strong, opinionated, loud. And the men never seem to need to uh either shrink or to get louder. Like everyone just seems very equal and cool and so when I now left that's feminism, right? yeah. That's what it is, equality. <laughs> well I, I had no vocabulary for that. It was right. just how it was. Right. And so um I think going out into schools when I realized that uh girls weren't expected to play basketball and all those other kinds of things. I'm like, wait, so this isn't normal? Like, this is this just my family? And so I feel my entire life I've always knew what women were capable of. And um, my father has play like a huge role in my life he's the one that got me into reading and um he was the one that actually taught me that it's okay to cry so things like that and so eventually um as you read from my bio I started doing a lot of leadership work with young women but that wasn't enough for me because I realized having had so many amazing men in my life that the conversation couldn't just be with women if we were going to talk about stopping violence because we're not necessarily we're not violating each other right and so of course the conversation doesn't just end there and so when I had the opportunity to be able to work with day one which we do work with young boys and young women gender non-conforming individuals any anyone from any background really um when I had that opportunity I was like I need to take this and it's been extremely rewarding to be able to have these conversations with young women and young men about it and then having it you know even having them check me and my own you know biases and prejudices and you know as a facilitator I'm thinking oh I got this you know I don't I'm not coming into this room thinking anything but I also have to make sure that I am also checking that before I go in the room and um but still being amazed when you have a young woman not necessarily understanding what coercion is and consent, and saying that the scenario I just gave was consensual when it was actually coercive, and then have a young man be like, no, she consented to this one piece, but the other part, this was coercive. Um which for anyone out there who doesn't know, coercion is convincing someone to do something that they don't want to do, whether it be through force, manipulation, intimidation, et cetera. And so um, that's
0: non-consensual.
3: Yes, basically. Right. And um, so having those moments have been like extremely rewarding for me and, is why I continue to do the work. Um, but thanks to Q, now I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I did this because my family's awesome. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, you know, it's fascinating about what both of you were saying with all the men in your life and um, Q, if I may call you that as well, because you answered Q? Uh, very cool name. Very cool guy. <laughs> is that men- So feminists, I guess, don't hate men. No. Right? Like, for our listeners that still say that, right? You know, oh, feminists must hate men. It's unbelievable. So here again, your feminism, if you will, came out of actually... The strong, loving support of male energy in addition to the female energy, yes. there was that yin and the yang mm-hmm. there was a balance there that actually created your you and your work yes by definitely. the way, did you come from uh, you know was your background did it was it supportive perhaps of the work you do in retrospect
2: um, you, know, I, you know I think yes and no, <coughs> um, you know, my mother raised my brother and I as a single mom and um, and she she basically raised us in, you know, as young black men in New York City and had to kinda deal with on a day to day level, you know, racism, um, you know, the potential of, you know, being involved with, you know, negative community activity from gun gang violence. Um, you know, she kinda really steered us away from that. But at the same time she really instilled that we had to be, you know, respectful of women. Um, you know, so we were you know, we were involved in sports Martial arts, you know, all those, you know, those typical rough and tup- tumble type of um, activities, and it really wasn't about, um, you know, using those aspects and those negative aspects of masculinity or socialization to be violent against violence against women, violent against women. It was really about, you know, positioning ourselves amongst other men mm-hmm. so we could get home at the end of the day. So right. my mother's strategy was, yes, you know, don't be. Um, disrespectful to anyone you know male female any gender any person um but at the same time you know be able to kind of protect yourself and get your butt home at the end of the day so that was really her 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 now. but you know and and my family is full of men you know my mother was the only um female in her in her generation and everyone has had you know boys afterwards so you know my family is constructed of a it's, it's a boys club you know so even her being the oldest female inside of that um, there was a lot of struggles with that, you know, in terms really? of you know how men <clears> make decisions and women <throat> taken seriously or not and, and what have you. So, you know, my life and my family has been lessons that I use every single day in my work. You know, it's really right. informed me from my grandparents, okay. you know, being the traditional, um, you know, relationship to build everything off of in terms of my grandfather being disabled and even with that, um, still was, you know, very much so the man of the house and made all the important decisions. But, um, Wh- who even was the that, Your guy, grandfather? My, my grandfather, yeah. Okay. And my grandmother, you know, she she didn't, you know, know how to drive or really was concerned about driving until my grandfather was, you know, got polio after World War II and could not move around so much. That was the only reason why she started to drive. But she was very much so, um, you know, one of the leaders in the family and, You know, but you know, my grandfather ultimately was the decision maker. In In your
0: nuclear family, in your household. Okay, so it wasn't that you growing up in this matriarchy where your mom was making. Did your mom was the one who gave you the talk?
2: Oh yeah, my mom. Yeah, because my my father was not there. So my mother, you know, was she was very much so, um, the person who really educated me, my brother about about women and also what it was to be a man and a certain type of man.
0: Right. And what type of man is that? That's what we're talking about. What's the type of man of when you're talking to men that we're all sort of either heading toward or trying to mold or trying to unleash or unearth when you're talking to young people? What are, what's what's the nugget? Let's unpack this now and get down to grass tax. And if anybody has a, out there has a question for our guests, please give us a call at 888-874-4888.
3: I would totally love to jump in on this sure. <laughs> Um Because I, I think today we still use a lot of the conversation around men shouldn't hit women. And yes, that is very true. Men shouldn't hit women. But as Q has been saying, people shouldn't hit people in general. And the reason why I kind of want to bring up that idea of men shouldn't hit women, but then we still have no conversation around why men shouldn't be hitting other men or being violent towards other men, we're still supporting the notion that women are weaker and need to be protected, which is why they shouldn't be hit, right? And so I think the type of men and Mm. society that we should be creating are people that see each other as human beings, right? right? So do I want to be hit by a man as a female and a female-identified person? No, but I don't want it to be because you think I'm this weaker sex that needs to be protected and coddled by you. I want it to be because you see me as a human being that deserves respect,
0: Yes. Okay. And then, what's the f- yes? The
3: fall on ideal. Uh, that's not going to happen. So we don't even have to answer that. One. No. Well, no, um. no. Well, that is
0: that is where one day after we blow ourselves up, and if the human race survives, <laughs> perhaps we will evolve into. And we once were. Mm-hmm. I think many millennia ago, there was still female principle. There was still female energy. We had matriarchies. I don't think it's become this way you know, through the Crusades and through sex selective abortions and all the things that we do now, women are still less than men. I mean, that's sort of inculcated into into our genes at this point. I think that is extremely important. I guess I'm just wondering, is it the... We don't want men... Men in same-sex relationships are... I mean, so there, so it's not that simply that a man in intimate, violent, intimate relationship mm-hmm. violence says, I could take you. So therefore, I mean, what, what's the problem here? I'll smack you around because... I'm three times stronger than you. That might be a component of it, but isn't it less about the gender differential and just the the issues of violence? Men men yeah, aren't
3: that's violent. What I'm, and power. that's the power and control, right? And so that's and and that's extremely right. And that's what I was saying about being able to have the conversation with men about not being violent, period. Because. I mean, we've talked about this already in that men are supported in being violent and showing anger and not being able to and express it in that way, and that's how we support it. Men are the highest perpetrators of physical and sexual abuse reported, right? And that's because we support, as a society, men and actually encourage them to be physically and sexually dominant. And it plays out in many of their relationships, whether it's intimate, whether it's through friends, etc.
0: But does that mean that Q's martial arts training... Was contributing to that because he could kick anybody's ass. I mean, while he was learning that, because I mean, I, I, I come from the frame of you know testosterone is probably the world's most dangerous drug, and that's part of it. Yes, we're sort of a John Wayne culture, and we do, you know, we we're we're all we like the tough guys and the machismo. But I guess I'm still. How, how do we get to the to the root of it when you're dealing with? A, when when whether either one of you are working mm-hmm. with someone who let's say now an actual abuser and I just want to say if I can um kind of appropriate that story from, from the uh from Judge Carter. Oh yeah,
1: go do ahead. you wanna tell it? Or yeah. I'll just tell it quickly? Go you ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay, I just at at a you know no, no. I just want to tell no. you the oh, the, the corporation counsel. I don't know if you know yeah. the, the head New the city lawyer for New York now is a man by the name of Zachary Carter. He used to be um, the head prosecutor in the Eastern District in Brooklyn. He used to be when I was a public defender in the Bronx in the '80s. He was a, a criminal court judge, and I know him. He's a great great man. African American. He's a he's a, a brilliant intellect. He's a great heart. He told the story that I wasn't there, Deborah was, at, what what was the meeting of the mayor's?
1: New uh, New York City Mayor's uh, Office to Combat Domestic Domestic Violence, violence. and it was Domestic Violence in the Workplace Empowering Survivors Through Best Practices and Resources. First ever forum talking about it. And they had panels. Uh, The first panel was about the law, and then the second panel was best practices. And he was the closing speaker. So the
0: closing speaker, sort of the keynote speaker this night, says this. In all my years on the bench, all my years as a federal prosecutor, and I dealt, I sentenced murderers, I sentenced all kinds of bad guys. I sat up there. I never once blinked. I didn't think about it. I was never fearful until the only time I felt fear, when I was looking down off my, uh, you know, across the uh, dock to domestic violent def- def- violence defendant, you know, a perpetrator, and for whatever, again, I wasn't there, but the notion, and I understand this for myself representing them occasionally back in the day, when that turns on that very thing that, you know, sometimes the the intimate partner is in court saying, oh, he won't do it again, I love him, and he's all contrite, but when that comes into play, whatever that thing is, that
1: what he was what he the 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 real point that he was making is that i sent a lot of mean people to jail and i was never ever afraid until i looked into the eyes of someone of an abuser and the hate that they were looking at me was the first time I ever felt any fear. And he said, and it gave me insight into how these women must feel looking into these eyes. And then he proceeded to talk about the importance. and.
0: So I'm just wondering then, Sarah, how does that sort of play into the whole notion when you have that? And if that's what we're talking about with all these numbers of one out of four women in a lifetime, or a million, you know, the, I have... We all hear the same sort of mind-boggling numbers of how many murders, are, you know, per oh, year. Oh,
1: I have the best number that okay. they they talked about. Last year alone in New York City, 280,000 Violence incidents reported. That's 770 reports a day to the NYPD alone.
0: And those are just yeah. reports. As you know,
1: yeah.
2: So. I mean, I, I, and that's I can, should, yeah, yeah. Which, what's reported. I mean, I, I can speak to yeah. that in terms of, you know, one, you know, what, what is uh, a real man, right? Uh, or the right. person of this new emerging man that you talked about, the original question. Right. And then from my experience from, you know, working, you know, running batteries groups, mm-hmm. um, you know, the thing about it is that, in, to those statistics, you know, and there's different parts of the city where those statistics are much higher than others. Of course. Like Brooklyn in the 75th precinct, it's like almost uh, seven times more domestic violence incidents than any other part of the city. Wow. But to the question around, you know, how do you, um, you know, transform, it's really a transformation of attitudes, mm-hmm. right? Because if you transform attitudes, you transform behavior, and naturally that should happen. Okay. Um, and it's not a one size fits all, right. you know. And, you know, for me running a batter's group, there's a fine line for me facilitating the group and being in the group just because of how men are socialized. So ideally, of course, we want to kind of create men that are, um, that kind of, you know, work from a basis of equality and equity and relationships and have the most healthiest relationship no matter who you're in a relationship with. Right. Um, but, you know, and then ultimately we would like to have, you know, men who are Um, mutual in their relationships so you know I mean because sometimes this idea of relationships being about 50 50 you're bringing $50 Mm -hmm. to the table and I'm bringing $50 to the table when they when we're we live in a society where male privilege exists it's male entitlement exists Mm -hmm. and structures that support you know men being paid more than women so this notion of saying you know, to my to my girlfriend or my wife or whoever I'm in a relationship with that you have to bring $50 to the table, when the odds are stacked, that can be violent in itself, mm-hmm. right? So I think this idea right. that we create mutual, mutuality in relationships, I think that's the ultimate goal. Just like when we talked about, you know, civil rights, it wasn't just about civil rights, it was about human rights. Right. Human rights, So right. it's right. really about this progression. So even when we're, when we're looking at how do we engage men who are abusive, because, you know, most men are not abusive, right? But mm-hmm. those that are, you have to kind of one meet them where they are, right, and have those conversations we 're talking about about you know what are our notions of manhood, where do we get this idea of how we 're supposed to be in a relationship, like even for me being you know being raised in a a single parent household with my mom raising us, I still develop these notions of manhood about what i what ideally from media, from school, from different jobs that i 've had about men's positioning in society, right? right? And that we're entitled to be in this position and that we may be violent to uphold that status quo or this Mm -hmm. positioning. So really kind of really labeling it as well because domestic violence is seen as this physical thing and it's really the, the least used form of abuse is yep. the physical. Right. right. It's the psychological, emotional, right. financial, economic, right. spiritual, all these different
3: things. And, and so technological, technological is coming technological. up huge, huge, especially with the. the Particularly teens. with youth. With, yes. with, youth. Especially with Technological the, with the, abuse
2: with um, youth. Yeah, like sexting and using wow. um, social media. GPS and social What's media. What's technological tracking. abuse?
3: Technological abuse. Uh, there's many examples. Yeah. And oh, yeah. so it could be sending unwanted sex messages, sexting, so like pictures or sexual. Uh, text messages Ah. it can be excessive text messaging so where are you who are you with what are you doing let me know you're home there's um, breaking into either emails phones social media accounts and then creating false profiles sometimes of people um, to try to start um, isolate to isolate people from like their friends or their family members and things like that bullying online but but,
0: but being that is power and control, and it is intimate. That's why it's intimate partner violence. These very When you mentioned, it's not about so I'm sort of back to, it's not about just male on female. Not, yeah. not at all. Okay, but then, but it's often, it often is about, isn't it, that male on that female. It's not the guy, he doesn't go into the grocery store that night, perhaps, and the first thing he mm-hmm. does is just say, will you charge me an extra quarter for this milk, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. It's because it still comes out of however dysfunctional, pathological, or whatever the needs are that aren't being met, that can't be met, but it's 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 intimate. It's a so I'm trying to understand that the difference between that, it's again, it's only because I only are gonna I'm only gonna lose my shed mm-hmm. yeah. with you because I love you, right? I mean, that's what it comes out. Of course, it's not that.
3: In the classroom with the youth, when we talk about whether it's okay to hit their partners, a lot of times, of course, they'll say no or, you know, sometimes they'll give me yes if they're play fighting or sometimes they're Partner might be getting on their nerves. I usually follow up the question to see if every single time that they're upset, if they're hitting um, like their parents or their teachers, and they give me, they're like, What? Of course, I'm not doing that, miss. I'm going to die, or that's disrespectful. They're my parents. And so, with that, I bring up the fact that we have self control. And you're completely right, where oh, it crap. is okay. within that relationship that I'm making a choice. So, abuse is about power and control, but it's also a choice for someone okay. to do that. So, in
0: the moment, but yeah. you tell me, Ray Rice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saw the video, know, like right? Did, and just yeah. I'm just picking this as a, this point yeah. of illustration. Probably wasn't a choice, right, at that moment,
2: right? Was that a choice? Was a choice? It was a choice. It was a choice. Okay. And, 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 that, and, that's, and that's the other part of what I think Sarah is saying as well is that, you know, domestic violence is about power and control. And it, we, we work from the premise that it's a learned behavior because, you know, men are not predisposed to being violent. Men of color are not predisposed to being violent. Um, so it's like it's, uh, it's a learned behavior. And it's a choice because, you know, you know, you don 't have to respond to and deal with conflict in that way, and I think to your, right. your point earlier is that there 's a, a a misnomer that domestic violence is about uh, losing control of your anger because right? mm-hmm. you know if it was truly that Ray Rice would not have um, Ray Rice would respond to his coach in the same ways. You know, if he was upset by his coach or told to do something or disrespected by his coach in whatever whatever way, he would respond that way. He would have responded to the police that was called that evening or to the person who came outside the house. And some people do, though, right? But that's a, 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 you know, that's a small percentage of people, because when we're talking about the dynamics of domestic violence, it's about what Sarah talked about, power and control in an intimate relationship, right. and it's also about coercive control, and it's about a pattern as well. You know, so it's, um, it's not like, um, you know, I have a little, little formula that we use when we do training, and we talk Please. to people, yeah. you know, so domestic violence is about, you know, abusing someone that you feel you're entitled to or have power over. Right. And in anger management is one you have no filter. Right. So you said something in this interview that upset me. So now I would attack you or I would attack her equally as I would someone I'm in a relationship with. That would be anger management or a mental health issue. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in most cases, domestic violence and predominantly from my experience running batteries groups, I've had maybe two men that have had actually mental health issues or anger management issues. And this is someone I had to kick out of the group myself because okay. he responded to me in the same way as he would respond to anyone, not just his partner. So um, so that's okay. like the little determination. Okay. who you being, What's the relationship? Who are you being violent towards? And what is the consequence? Because the consequence for Ray Rice would have been totally different if there was no one videotaping that scenario. He could got, have gotten away with it. Well, of that. course, it happens yeah. every
0: day. But yeah. when he, But when this elite athlete physical specimen cold cocked her knocked her out cold at that moment what would you teach if you had him prior to that or just looking at that maybe alcohol was involved and again maybe yeah. well, what what was the dynamic at the moment of almost an impact or the moment before impact that would make a man she's mine she's coming at me let me just like what but, is that but,
2: but the reality was that he was very calm and cool and collected if you look at the film you know so what did the do you, what's
0: the diagnostics on that
2: that he was, you know, specifically targeting his wife, who he had power and control over, or he felt that you know, for whatever whatever was going on in his mind, he felt that justified in behaving right. in that particular type of way with her because he doesn't do that with everyone. Right. You know, mm-hmm. he, he comes from New York City, he, uh, from, um, I think, Mount Vernon, and, you know, people have talked about him not making those same choices in other right. types of relationships, right. but in his intimate relationship, he felt that that, that was justifiable. You know, and, and so the it's other called- thing, too, is that I wouldn't get caught up in the fact that he was a... Uh, you know, a, a athlete, right. a, a strong specimen, it's the attitude again, okay. right? Because sometimes you hit someone, they fall back a little bit. Sometimes you hit someone, they fall and hit their head and they die, right? But it's just right. the, the intention and the, the the behavior and the attitude that I am. Okay, it's okay for me to do this because I don't see her as equal to me as an object or property or, you know, whatever the dynamic is going okay. on for him because, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, people... Um, decide to be abusive in a relationship for different reasons.
0: But is it a decision and is it cultural or is it individual or is it both?
2: I mean, cu- cultural systemic. in the sense that, you know, you can ideally with it's that, that behavior support because immediately she was blamed for the, for what, for the, excuse me. Right. For the, um, for the behavior that she received from him in terms of the abuse,
1: right? And she even apologized. Yeah, but
2: that's natural too though, right? Because yeah. when, when dealing with abusive men, or abusive people, but from my experience working with abusive men, they are already in a state of denial, minimization, yeah. and blame, right? Yeah. So if you think about, you know, uh, Janae Rice being in a situation where her husband went to work, right? And right. he may be blaming her every single day for this getting out, for his behavior. Right? Mm-hmm. And she's a recipient of that So a lot of men who are abusive They're blaming the partner for their behavior Oh you made me do this Oh you should have done everything I said The way I wanted it to You should have cooked the eggs Like my mother cooks the eggs Or whatever it may be Right. So they're justifying their behavior They're not being held accountable They're not accountable for their actions So imagine you going into going into work Right. And you haven't you know, been through a process because he went through anger management. He didn't go through a domestic violence accountability group
0: prior to the incident. Yeah, as,
2: yeah, no, as a result oh, of the oh, incident, oh, okay. he was mandated to an anger management group, which doesn't deal with the accountability, the power and control, the sexism issues that are related right. to domestic violence. So this is a person who goes into work. He loses a multimillion dollar job. What, what state of mind do you think he is if he hasn't been through the right, process right. and what do you expect her to say? Right, and right, her, her response right. is typical for survivors right. of domestic violence because that's about safety, right? Yeah. So what happens when he gets home after going through all of this and he hasn't been through a process <laughs> about accountability?
0: Yeah,
2: so, I mean, but, that's well, not well, but, what would you, but
0: just as a way of, and perhaps this is part, and we're going to... Go ahead, please. Yeah, ahead. Please. Uh, so
1: in working with kids, so by the time, in large part, your work is with batterers so how do you approach kids like what are some of the exercises like what are the things that you point out to try and you know I don't want to say nip it in the bud Mm -hmm. but bring awareness shed some light
3: on these uh attitudes I think a lot of it is just asking questions and uh I think as adults we don't Give youth enough credit with the information that they hold, and they've learned not to give themselves enough credit. And so, as a facilitator coming into the room, and literally beginning with questions like "Is it sometimes okay to hit your partner?" "Is jealousy a sign of love?" And then being able to break down jealousy and where that's Why coming from.
0: Why do they answer that? The you jealousy. Like, no, is no. Let's start love. with "Is it okay to hit your partner?"
3: Um, that one, I. It's almost overwhelmingly false. I mean, no. Yes, that it's not okay to hit your partner. Um, But that's because we know that it's not okay to hit people. So a lot of times once you start to have the conversation, it'll come up that it might be okay to do it sometimes. Um, But they know that if someone someone wants to ask you, is it okay to hit... A person, you would know to say no. Right. That's what we're taught, right? Um, so then we break down the conversation a little bit. We talk about self defense. We talk about uh, play fighting and the choice and accidentally hitting people and just being aware that whenever we place our hands on someone, there can be a consequence to it. And then we follow up with um, whether jealousy is a sign of love. And that one, including uh, sometimes when I have adults, um, you know, get involved in it or if I'm doing a professional's training and I can tell that. Some of them still might believe that jealousy is a sign of love. I'll bring out the activity. And it's almost overwhelmingly yes. Um, And then we, and of course they understand that there's levels, right? So they'll say, oh yeah, well too much jealousy. That's like stalking and, you know, breaking into things and that's not okay. But then the feeling, this is not necessarily their own language, but feeling possessive over someone or thinking that, well, that's my partner. So they shouldn't be talking to People that I don't like, or they should, they should check in with me if you know they're going to be someplace that I don't agree with, or I do have a right to ch- check in with them to make sure that they're doing what I think that they should be doing. So it's
0: mostly about dominion and control when you get right down to it.
2: No, I mean I think that's uh, you know unhealthy relationships and that are dealing with intimate partner violence. That's the core of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's many things. It's it's those conversations, and it's also about you know again you know going back to. You know, and from as a starting place. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what is a man? What is a woman? Yeah. What are these role expectations? What are these gender roles? And and um and who who did, who who determines the gender roles? Yeah. You know, so that's a critical piece as well. Oh,
1: and following up that you and I think it was you, I, I'm pretty sure it was you. Uh, that night at Now NYC, you gave an example about asking people, um, the group uh who are women you admire yeah
2: Yeah. it was uh women you know and this is uh sometimes we'll start with this depending on the group and again it's not a one size fits all sarah goes in finds out who what school population you're working with or what community that is so all that informs the conversations that we that we both have in our work so i mean it would be from you know that's one one of the exercises you know we'll ask uh, a a group of men you know who is a, a woman you respect and why and then a lot of times, oh, it's my grandmother, it's my mom, because she had me, she cooks for me, she, she cleans for me. And then the same question would be, who is a, a man you respect and why? And it might be, you know, President Obama or Martin Luther King for what they've done and the impact on the world, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the specific Isn't things daddy? that they've done for me. And then, so, you know, we just kind of put that on the chart. And then, you know, one side, the men you respect and why, it's these real profound things, for for men and then for women, some some of it is profound as well. But th- there's a particular pattern around, and um, you know, I'll circle the me part She does this for me. She had me, or mm. this this. And I kept circling all the me's, 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 me's. And that's really a demonstration of male privilege, right? The right. fact that you know. I am the center of certain things and therefore she's valuable because of what she does for me. And then for him, it's right. typically for who he is in this world and, and so so forth. And then, you know, from that we'll have a conversation about well, why, you know, what, what do you think this is really about? And then, you know, so it, it brings up a lot of things about, you know, this Id- idealistic ideas of, you know, men in their lives that may be present or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe whose leadership in the community from the pastor to the, you know, uh, the professionals in that particular community. And then it begs the question of who is your mom, Mm -hmm. right? And who was she before you? And who was she before she got into a relationship uh with your your parent? And then so it's like, oh, wow, you know what? You know, and one guy was like, you know what? I saw a picture of her one day and I think she was dancing, (laughs) so maybe she wanted to be a dancer. So it's really about what, like Sarah mentioned, the questions and the type of conversations that we're having and to have them to go back home and think critically about what is a man, what is a woman, what is a man and a woman in a relationship, or whatever type of relationship it may be, like, what what does it mean to be an adult, and and that's that's to my point that, you know, a lot of times we look at prevention, and at Connect we do prevention work as well, that was like the premise of us, you know, starting our work 11 years ago, but one thing that I found was that it's, you know, and it's not fair, and my work started with youth, that it wasn't fair to just work with youth. We have to work with every adult in that child's Mm life and not to put the onus responsibility on these youth to change Mm -hmm. all the mistakes that we've made as adults Mm -hmm. and put all this pressure on them. Because children, you know, they don't have power. Collectively, they may have power if it's organized and used in a particular, but that's Mm -hmm. a lot of work and effort. So we have to really, as adults, we have to ally with youth just like men and women have to ally and you know and getting straight after ally and you know poor and you know all these different uh, intersecting classes need to ally with each other to really progress and change and move forward
1: but for any kind forward. of change that's why the focus is always on for any change of any type the focus is always on education talk to the kids get the conversation started early to combat or offset what you know, what the adults may be bringing that is their own old but, crap.
2: Yeah. I, I, I agree. That isn't going to serve moving uh, forward. I mean, studies have shown it's more effective to work with youth because, uh, you know, they're, they're brand new, they're fresh in their thinking. But, um, you know, youth don't. Control industry well right? yeah. so so all, all, I'm, all I said yes. to say is that it's important now we do both Many exactly things need to be done, totally. just can't put it on young people to change this mm-hmm. world when they have no positions of power in it, right, so we have to kind of work together around that so well my, my work with youth shifted from working directly with youth to working with the adults in lives.
1: right, because that's just right. as important, and that was why this uh, conference this week just talking about how the employer gets involved. Uh, Which we'll talk about next week But um, it's talking to everybody and, And having the conversation Because that's the other thing We don't really talk about domestic
3: violence You know yeah, I was just going to... We don't talk about relationships. So, sure, like, sure. we don't talk about domestic violence. But, like, we also don't talk to, especially youth, about what a healthy relationship looks like. Um, even when I'm in the in the room, I bring up Romeo and Juliet. And as a society, we have created and based most of our relationship goals off of this. If I can't be with you, I'm going to kill myself teenagers. Right. Right, And this is like what we find to be romantic. We find the aggressive of if I can't have you, no one will. And we, but then we want to blame People right. for thinking that that's okay, and so, and I agree with Q. The conversation has to come from all over the place, and yes. we talk about gender, um, my obsession, and I'm going to tell everyone this over and over is about consent and coercion. And so, even when I'm having the conversation with youth about consent, I don't start at the sexual spot because consent begins way before that. Way before, and so, you know, when I'm asking them, "Well, are you asking people to hold their hands? Are you asking them for kiss, a kiss?" They're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm just like, this is actually pretty cool, guys. When you ask someone if you can do this, it shows confidence that we don't think that people should right, have. Right. When we talk about um, certain when I give them scenarios, they're like, but wouldn't that be mixed signals? Isn't it confusing? And I'm like, whenever you're confused or get mixed signals, what do you usually do, right? If I gave you a homework assignment and you didn't understand it, what would you do? You would ask me for help. You would ask the teacher, how do I do this? I don't get this. But we never encourage people, even adults, that if something is confusing in our sexual relationships and our intimate relationships that I need to stop and ask you what is going on are you feeling uncomfortable like I'm getting mixed signals is this something that you want me to do right. we want us to be mind readers and we, all, we, want, we want our partners to be mind readers as well right but that's not how we work right. and so these are the conversations the space to have conversations just around healthy relationships as well as if you're already dating what can be some warning signs if you're getting into an abusive relationship or if that person might perpetrate harm
1: hmm.
0: What makes your work harder, because you mentioned kids aren't, I think, you know, the captains of industry or mm-hmm. whatever, and it's not their parents either. When you talk about in our white privilege, male privilege, rape culture, where you have someone like Rush Limbaugh who gets on in front of however many millions of people who listen to him every day and says, what's consent? What happened to the? I mean, I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing. What happened to when it used to be you took your, you know men were men and you took your chances and you, just, you take all the fun out of it when you have to ask something you know as as you know as medieval as that. But what's beautiful? Still about beautiful. I think about what you do, both of you. Both of you model. You model the behavior. You That's model it as eloquent, yes. you model the behavior as the very attractive human beings you are in all the you know the holistic ways mm-hmm. that you are human beings wi- a woman, man, strong woman, strong man, but in a way where nobody's none of these none of the men would look at you and say yeah but you know you're a, you're a poofta, why should I listen to you yeah. you've so you know you've got that like gravitas and you've got it as as a, as a woman as an intellectual as a someone who you have it and I, I minimize it by by trying to break it down, but what you're also doing is shedding light, less heat, more light, Mm -hmm. right? So as you unearth, as you shed the light on these conditioned behaviors, even if it's one kid, one family at a time, maybe it would be better if we actually were all able to do this and we had not just, you know, Eric Michael Dyson, whatever his name is, instead of just doing Cosmos, did a show every week on this stuff, and you guys are the star of it, where we can, but it's too Femi or something, and it wouldn't make any money, but isn't that really what i'm what i'm hearing and feeling and i do think it's really poignant is that what you're talking about is simply it's not a silver bullet well that's as close as we get is just examining these examining the roles examining the things like why don't we ever talk about why don't we ever talk about with people like what is what is that meaning of when you want to kiss why does it feel that it's less valuable if you have to say man can I have a kiss
3: because I'm supposed to be grabbing you and throwing you against the wall
0: who tells us that but, that, but that's the yep.
2: thing I mean I think you know and, and men and women are socialized in those same ways. that's dirty dancing that normal okay. And that's okay. okay but you know
0: I mean, will, yeah. so the woman was so it's, in other words but it is it takes the two to tango there only because a woman might say I'm waiting for you mm-hmm. it, it is the confusion right if a if a if a lovely young man says, I don't have any, I'm, I would never actually take the initiative because I'm afraid, and I'm waiting, and a young woman says, but I don't, I was taught, I'm not, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of I'm going to be And it's
3: also not to say that people who enjoy things rough, that's okay, too, if you enjoy. But that's the thing. It's consensual if you're having the conversation, right? You're not going to know that that's something that I like unless we talk about it first. Right. So I'm not saying every single time that something happens, you have to do this. But if you're having the conversation and you're like, oh, you know, sometimes I kind of like this. You know, there may be, we can discuss What, like, non-verbal cues violence. we can That's do etc. Right? Yeah. And,
2: and I think, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned it and I really hear this when I do radio or TV The idea that we live in a rape culture Right, so I think mm-hmm. because of that It makes all those, makes those mix, those Messages very mixed In terms of, and so we're, we're starting with Uh uh, a lean towards, you know, it's okay for men to do anything they want in a relationship and it's to be expected of the person you're in a relationship with as well. And that's what rape culture does, you know, when it's, uh, and I, when I, when it's negative in a way, it kind of really um, skews, you know, the idea of choice and consent and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And, you know, when 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 parents have, or adults have conversations with young people In the conversation itself or without the conversation, there's a conversation going on around what's acceptable in relationships or not. You know, um, rape rape culture really skews the information that we receive and what's actually, um, you know, implemented in terms of relationships and choices and consent.
3: And this also makes it harder for young men to be able to report that these things are happening to them, whether it be physical or emotional um, especially when we think of how men should be acting, our responses, um, and usually even in the classroom, whenever I provide scenarios in which the person that might be receiving harm is a young man, you can automatically hear the change in tone in the students. Like, they know that they're supposed to be on his side because he's receiving harm, but their tone becomes completely lighter. It's more of like, well, maybe he could have ask for a, especially for like a sexual situation and I bring it up to them
0: can you give us an example of a receiving harm young man
3: um, so in, in a consent and coercion workshop um, the young man was the one that was being coerced into having sex When the other scenarios, which were gender neutral, but they always provided the female gender to the one that was being coerced. The moment it was obvious that it was a male gendered person that was being coerced, their tone was like, oh, well, you know, he kind of sighed at the end. So maybe he was like, hey, it's okay.'" But if it was a if they assumed it was a young woman in the situation. And I'm saying this because this is what happened to previous scenarios. They were very like gung ho, like, no, that wasn't okay." And I bring to their attention. I'm like, did you notice the change? changing your tone and they're like, right, oh, right. man, like, you're yeah. right. Like, we're supposed to... And these are um, students who were in, like, a leadership program. So they had already gone through gender workshops and things okay. like that. And they're like, man, we didn't even think about that. And I'm like, so when you walk out of this, I want you to also think about this. We're not telling you to be experts yeah. in relationships when you leave, but think about these questions. Exactly. You know, like, how, how is my tone changing in the wow. simple fact that now a young man is receiving some form of coercion or harm?
0: It's really brilliant. It's 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 group. You know, you both... Sort of group therapy leaders. I mean, really, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. someone who's been through group therapy, you can, you, I mean, really, and you do this, really, both of you in groups, but being being this beacon, and that's why it just can't be anybody. It has to yeah. be somebody who, and over the years now, I assume you're still, the, the learning curve you said was easier, shorter at the beginning, but I'm sure you're still making distinctions yeah. both of you each time you and do I, this. And that was
2: just for me. And like, one of the yeah. things that we do with Connect is that we train people to do this work, right? Okay. So it's, um... Sarah like came. Oh, yeah? came. Oh yeah, okay. Connect training, and you did a women's empowerment and a girls' empowerment. Uh, uh or
3: the four day. no, I did the I did the four-day one yeah. when I first started. working with day one a
2: couple years. Ago. Yeah, and that's the thing, you wow. know. So Sarah okay. and I, wow. you know, we we've awesome. developed this, but you know, anyone can really do this, you know. And it, well, do it, it, it do, with, what?
0: do what do it where I'm saying. No, that's, that's what I mean. So it.
2: so it depends on the community you're working in, and, right. and that's what we're really trying to do because we can't be everywhere. We don't speak every language. We're not part uh-huh. of every. Uh, you know, ethnic group. So it's really like training people in communities that are familiar with their own community, help them develop the strategies and the tactics of doing this work, and that's one of the things that we're doing at connect to our Connect Training Institute is training people to go back in their communities and work with the
3: populations they want to work with. Can't and this is where tra- I'm going to plug in right now for yeah, both of it, us. Please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Day One also does youth serving professionals trainings as well as parent yeah. workshops um, on how to better have conversations with their teens about dating in general and intimate partner of violence um, and so at our website a workshop can be requested What's your website? day1ny.org so it's spelled out d-a-y-o-n-e-n-y.org um, and uh, workshops for teens can also be requested, and so I was like, "Hold on, wait, Q, you're not telling you're telling them that you provide all these trainings, but you're not telling them that they should also come and no, like sign up no, and stuff, okay?" Because that's it. the absolutely. same thing right, that with right, our yeah, yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Like, if there's something that is interesting to anyone that is out there listening to us, um, these things are available. We're resources to entire community. Okay, and yeah, so
0: absolutely. and your organization and, uh, where we
2: can be located at www.connectnyc.org and yes, we. we Provide training for community-based organizations, faith-based organizations. We have a, a program for connect men, connect youth, connect women. We run. Um you know, uh, monthly roundtables um, that, you know, I encourage everyone to come, go to our website and get all the information about that. And then, you know, we provide training at Connect and also in the community. We have over 200 community partners that we help strategize and develop programs and projects around, you know, to partner violence throughout New York City. So, you know, it's definitely in day one, is, you know, one of our partners mm-hmm. in this work. And, um, you know, so it's important that, you know, support nonprofit organizations doing gender-based violence work and, and working around prevention, which I think is key, because, to be yeah. honest with you, prevention work is really about putting uh, direct services out of business. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you work with the person right. who's committing the violence, right. then we're not so reactionary. Right. But those services are, are, are needed, don't get me wrong, yeah. to the point where we're, we're working with abusive partners.
0: Thank you. So. People can also go to both of the sites. I'm hearing the, I didn't have a warning, but I'm hearing the goodbye music um, and contribute, right? Because to this important work, people can go and make a donation, whatever they feel comfortable and can afford. Yeah. And also, is it possible that our new, a prog- little more progressive mayor might be interested in having the million school children in New York City be exposed to some of this? Let, let me just say, we are very grateful, Sarah Gonzalez, Quentin Walcott, for being with us today. Thank you very much. On behalf of uh, Jack Tuckner and Deborah Rell, Women's Rights in the Workplace, again, we thank you for coming back with your jet lag and for rushing here, Q. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful, wonderful show. And again, the websites, one more time, day one.
3: Day one, ny.org. And Quentin. That's nyc.org.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We, will, we look forward to seeing you next week from Jack and Deborah. Remember, stay informed. Past. Remember, the democracy. This is this is a a uh, what's what's the uh, well. They cut me off. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you next week. And remember, don't quit.